Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Cornerstone family, wherever you're at, why don't you make some noise right now? I don't care if you're by yourself. Let's lift some praise to God today. And hey, can we also give it up for our worship team for leading us so well today? Man, what a way to start off our time together. Hey, I wanna know, we do this every week. Where are you watching at? Give us our little roll call, right? Our location roll call. If you're in Portage Lakes, if you're in Talmadge, if you're in Barberton, wherever you're at, we wanna know. Post it in the comments below. I also post this too. I wanna know what you're watching from. Like, I, I wonder that every single week. I'm always like, because we watch on TV. We use our Roku uh, to watch. I'm just curious, just curiosity. I want to know if you're watching from your phone, your tablet, your computer, your, your Roku, wherever you're watching this from. Put that in there too. And then the last thing, share this post right now. Like, share this. Share this video. If you haven't done it already, get this out there. Share this content. If you are finding the father, the family, and a fulfilling future from Cornerstone, man, why are you going to be selfish? Keep that to yourself. (laughs) Share this stuff. Share it. Get it out there. Help someone else find that same thing that you found here at Cornerstone. So do that now. Um, I don't know about everybody else, but 2020 has been crazy. Right? Is that a safe thing to say? Is that, are we okay saying that? I think it's been nuts. Uh, everything that's gone on has just been wild. I mean, we're in the midst of something right now. Pastor Brenda just mentioned it, um, the, uh, the, the, the racial conversations that we're having after the deaths of uh, Armad Arbery and uh, George Floyd, just a lot of turmoil in our country right now. Uh, and that's just part of it. I mean, if we go back, we, Kobe Bryant died earlier this year. That was a crazy thing. Um, the, obviously, the coronavirus epidemic. We've had just this year, if I remember right, I think we've had uh, the highest gains in the day for the stock market in history and the biggest like lows in a day in stock market history. Like we have been all over the place. I'm not kidding. It feels like we have fit a decade's worth of news into five months. Like it's nuts. Like there is just so much going on right now. And so in the midst of all this news, there was one news story that came through that I wouldn't be surprised if you missed it because honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it is pretty small. But whenever I saw it come through, I I read Apple News every day just to try to, you know, stay up to date with what's going on. I saw it in like the the bottom section, just like kind of other miscellaneous stories. And I saw this one and I was like, no way. I clicked on it and I thought, man, this is, this is exactly what we're talking about at church. Like this is exactly what we're going through. So I thought I would share it with you. Now, just letting you know, this is going to be long, but we're reading an entire post. This is from John Steingard. You may not know who this is. Um, If you're about my age, if you're uh, in your early thirties, you probably do know who this is because uh, if you grew up in Christian churches, uh, he's the front man of a Christian rock band called Hawk Nelson. And they were huge. Like they were huge whenever I was growing up. They would be at all of the Christian music festivals. They'd be at Alive. They'd be at all those places. Um, and, and they had a bunch of big hits, right? They hit it pretty big in the Christian music uh, community. And he posted this uh, about a week and a half ago on his Instagram. And this was his post. I want us to read it through. Again, it's a little lengthy, but the whole thing, we need to read through this. This is so powerful. This is not a post I ever thought that I would write, but now I feel like I really need to. I've agonized over whether to say this publicly and if so, how to do it. So here goes. 
After growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band, and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I am now finding that I no longer believe in God. The process of getting to that sentence has been several years in the making. It didn't happen overnight or all of a sudden. It's been more like the pulling of, on the threads of a sweater. Or if you're with us week one, more like pulling out of the blocks of a Jenga tower, right? Just one block after another. It's been like pulling on the threads of a sweater and one day discovering there was no sweater left. I've had private conversations with trusted friends about my doubts and discovered to my absolute shock that they are shared by nearly every close friend my age who also grew up in the church. I am stunned by the number of people in visible positions within Christian circles that feel the same way as I do. There were still many things about Christian culture that made me feel uncomfortable. In fact, the list was growing. There were things that just didn't make sense to me. If God is all loving and all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? Is the evil in the world a result of his desire to give us free will? Okay then, but what about famine and disease and floods and all the suffering? If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? My whole life, people have always said, you have to go back to what the Bible says. I found, however, that consulting and discussing the Bible did not answer my questions. It amplified them. I was raised to believe that the Bible was the perfect word of God. Sure, it was written by human beings, but those people were divinely inspired. We can consider the words they wrote to be the word of God. I began to have questions and doubts about that. It seemed like there were a lot of contradictions in the Bible that didn't make sense. Does this sound like what we have been talking about the last two weeks? Suffice it to say that when I began to believe that the Bible was simply a book written by people as flawed and perfect as I am, that was when my belief in God truly began to unravel. During a vacation in Mexico, I had a revealing conversation with my father-in-law, who is also a pastor. I was asking about a verse in 1 Timothy that seems really oppressive of women. It says that women shouldn't be in leadership, shouldn't teach men. I don't think Cornerstone got the memo on that one, by the way. I think we missed that one. It says that women shouldn't be in leadership, shouldn't teach men, and shouldn't wear their hair in braids. To me, that seems less like the message of a loving God that most Christians believe in now, and much more like the ideas that would have been present in the culture at the time. My father-in-law asked me if I'd been reading the King James Version. He felt that the King James had put its own spin on a lot of things and that it couldn't be fully trusted. You have to go back to the original Greek, he said. This is something that I've heard a lot over the years. Well, I'm simply taking that to its next natural conclusion, that the original Greek is also human, flawed, and imperfect, and also can't be fully trusted. He replied, well, if you believe that, what do you have left? I said, Exactly. Once I found that I didn't believe the Bible is the perfect word of God, it didn't take long to realize that I was no longer sure he was there at all. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Chances are it does. Chances are these words have been uttered by a parent, by a close friend, by one of your college buddies, by coworkers, Shoot, I'm going to say some of these words have probably been uttered by you. Granted, maybe you haven't even vocalized it, but you have been thinking it. 
right? Everything that John, everything that he just poured out here, and I, I gotta commend him for his, his bravery in stepping out on this. I obviously disagree with his conclusions, but this, this was obviously a hard post for him to write, to be this vulnerable. I wanna ask you, maybe you know a John. If you do, put it in the comments right now. I know John. I know, I know a John. I know plenty of Johns. Plenty of people that I love, that I value, that I care about, that if I were to get them on some truth serum, <laughs> they would say pretty much the same thing he said here. And I'm not talking about people who never enter a church. I'm talking about people who were here most Sundays out of the year, who are just going through the motions, right? Their sweater unraveled a long time ago. Their Jenga tower collapsed years ago, but they're still going because that's what their family does. They're just going through the motions because that's what my parents have always done. I don't really believe in this stuff anymore, but it would be too hard to make a big public thing about it. So I, I just, you know, I let people think certain things, but I'm not really following God. That might be you. I wanna tell you, we are going on a deep dive today. So the last two weeks have been very inspirational. Today is very informational, okay? Very, very informational. So it's a little bit like you're in summer school today, okay? We're, we're, in, we're in some summer school here in June. Um, but I wanna to first just kind of look at where we've been before we go where we're going today, okay? So part one of this series, we talked about the whole idea that most of us come to Jesus, most of us come to the Bible because of an emotional pull, not a logical one, which is true about almost every relationship we have. You don't enter relationships logically. Like, oh yes, we, we get along so well and this is very logical. No, it's emotional. You get along well, right? The person did something for you and that's how it is with the Bible. That's how it is with Jesus. The Bible works for us. So we follow it. It helps us change habits. So we follow it. Jesus helped us break an addiction. So we follow him. It works for us. But we talked about what happens though when our foundation of our personal experience when our foundation of, well, Jesus works for me. He, he works for me. What happens when that hits a rough patch? What happens when the emotion of the moment is suddenly gone and tough questions about the Bible start to pop up? Tough questions about Jesus, tough questions about our faith because they happen. Emotions eventually go away. Jesus stops working the way he used to work for you, right? He doesn't answer prayers the way that you thought so. You broke this addiction, but now another one's starting up and you're like, well, Jesus, where are you? Maybe this thing was selling me a bill of goods that isn't true. What happens when those tough questions pop up? And so then part two, we talked about our fact that, well, you know what? Our faith was never dependent on this to begin with. Our faith is not dependent on the Bible. It's better than that. It's something better than the Bible. We, we, have, we have something better. We love the Bible, right? We, we love the Bible. We honor the Bible. We treasure the Bible. And yet the Bible is not the foundation for any of our faith. Right. It's not. We love it, but it's not the foundation for our faith. We have something better than a book. We have an event. We have something better than a book. We have an event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the basis for our belief. That's it. That, that's like, period. <laughs> There's no, and this other thing. No, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the foundation for our belief. We, we read last week from Acts chapter five, how the, the, the Jesus' disciples, his followers, they appeared before this tribunal who was telling them to stop teaching about Jesus. And they're like, we're, we're not teaching about him. We're telling about him. Yeah. Like we're, we're not, we're not educators. We're eyewitnesses. We saw something and we can't shut up about it. We saw the resurrection. This isn't an idea we came up with. It's nothing like that. This is an actual historical event that is the basis for our belief. So that's where we've been. All right. Now today we're going to be closing this thing out. 
And last week, I kind of uh, left us with a, a set of questions that we're going to be diving into today. And these are what we're going to be looking at today. So how do I know that my better than, how do I know my better than? The resurrection, because that's what we're saying. Hey, the better than the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus. How do I know it's reliable? I mean, I got to be honest, isn't this just semantics? Isn't this just semantics? This is just wordplay. Because the resurrection is in the Bible. Like, if you've been thinking logically at all, you've been thinking that. Like, hmm. So he's saying the resurrection is better than the Bible, but the resurrection is in the Bible. So, <laughs> so how is it better than the Bible if it's part of the Bible, pastor? That doesn't make sense. And on top of all that, it still sounds to me like you're saying it's okay to disbelieve in the Bible. On top of all that, it still sounds like there's parts of the Bible that you're like, eh, forget about it. All right, you don't got to worry about that part. Just, just ignore it, right? So those are the questions we're going to be diving into today. So buckle up, pay attention. This might be a two-watcher. Like, you may be watching it now and then have to come back to it later just because there's a lot of information. And I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize ahead of time. There's a lot of information we're going to be getting into today. I do want to give some props to Pastor Andy Stanley of North Point Community Church. A lot of stuff I'm going to be talking about today is stuff I've studied, but I'm also going to be incorporating stuff from some of his uh, sermons I've heard before that are just so good. I'm like, man, why, why try to recreate the wheel? Like this dude, I just didn't want anyone watching one of Andy's sermons and thinking he stole from me. I, I don't want it to get awkward. Me and Andy are real tight and I didn't, you know, just didn't want anything weird. So, but my, my goal for today at the end of the sermon, what I want to have happen is two things. If you are a skeptic, if you're a skeptic, I want you to have fewer excuses. And if you're a believer, I want you to have more confidence. That is my goal. At the end of the sermon, I'm not saying that, like, at the end of it, you're like, oh, I'm re when are we doing baptism? Like, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I just want, if you're a skeptic out there, to go, okay, well, I guess I have fewer excuses to just reject Jesus, to just reject the Bible. And if you're a believer, I just want you to have confidence I want you to have confidence in knowing that your relationship with Jesus and your faith in him is not dependent on just your personal experience, which is great, but that's not the end-all, be-all of your relationship with Jesus. So let's go ahead and let's dive into the meat of today. So one thing we've been talking about, the Bible. It's infallible, but unbelievable. It's infallible. It's, you know, it's, there's no falsehood in it. It's not pointing us in any wrong direction. There's no falsehood, but it's unbelievable. It's hard to stomach some of the stuff you read in here. It, that's coming from your pastor. That's coming from your pastor. It is hard to stomach some of the stuff in here. I mean, if you don't think some of the stuff in here is crazy, I'd love to know what your definition of crazy is because <laughs> let me tell you, there is some stuff in here that I'm going, like, really? What's, what's the original word for that? Is that really what that means? Is that really what Jesus requires of us? Is that really what happened? Is that really the way this went down? There are some hard to tolerate stuff in there, hard to, to stomach things in the Bible. But unfortunately, the deal that we have told people for years is that, well, you want Jesus, you gotta take this. Yeah. Like if you want Jesus at all, take all of this, believe every word, have no questions, have no doubts. Wow. If you want Jesus, this is what you have to get. It kind of makes me think of how we are with like political uh, parties and, and candidates. Like, oh, if you want Trump, then you have to agree with every single possible thing the Republican Party agrees with. Oh, you, you want Biden? You have to toe the party line, have no like yeah. differentiation between you and what we believe. And you're going, well, like, can't I disagree here or there? Or maybe I just don't understand here or there. Like, isn't that okay? And we're in a world where it's like, no, it's not okay. 
everything or nothing, everything or nothing. And that's how this has been sold a lot. That's how Jesus has been sold. Well, Jesus is good. This is his book. You need to read the whole thing, believe the whole thing, not have questions about the whole thing, or else we got to wonder how your relationship with Jesus really is. If you really have questions, we, we don't know how closely you're really following him. But the good news, the good news is you don't have to believe or understand all of it. You don't. In fact, you're in good company if you don't. <laughs> if you don't understand all of Scripture, welcome. Welcome to the club that everyone on stage is on, including Pastor Brenda. No, we don't understand all of it. We don't get all of it. Do you know the author of the majority of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, how he described it is that, man, currently, it's like I'm looking through sunglasses. <laughs> currently, it's like I'm looking through a clouded lens. I only understand in part. Like whenever I look at the world, whenever I look at what's going on, whenever I look at what God's saying, whenever I look at just the situation, it's like I'm looking through a dark lens. I only see in part. That is from the apostle Paul. Who in the world are we to think, nope, I understand everything. Every, every single word in here, I've got it. I've got a handle on it. I know exactly what it's talking about. So Look, if you feel like you've had to have everything on lockdown, right, before you can really follow Jesus, you have been sold lies. That is not true. That is not true. In fact, you are in good company if you don't understand all of it. So you know what that means? You know what that looks like? That means six literal days of creation, right? Like six literal 24-hour period days and Adam and Eve, a, a worldwide flood that covered the entire world and every mountaintop is covered in water. Jonah and the whale, the fact that a man was swallowed by a whale, survived for three days inside and was spit out. All of these things, you know what that means? It means that the historicity of these stories, like if they actually happen exactly as they're described, they don't establish or diminish our faith as Christians. Not one iota. Not one iota. It, and can we, I want us to be a real church. If you have ever had any questions about any of these things or anything else in the Bible, I mean, just put a hand up emoji in the comments. I have, there's stuff I'm still reading. I'm going, huh? Like, what in the world is going on here? Like, I just don't, under, I just don't understand it. But the fact is, these stories, these things I don't understand, they do not diminish or establish my faith in Jesus. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if there was some way, hypothetically, if there was some way I was able to find out that it was not six literal days of creation, that there was not a worldwide flood, and that Jonah and the whale never happened, if, if someone were to say all that to me, my, my response now that I'm, I'm kind of growing in my faith and, and moving into new areas with Jesus, my reaction would honestly be, I can honestly say this, it would be, so? And? <laughs> like, what, what's your point here? And I'm, I'm telling you, God is, like, he's done so much in that area of my life. I used to be, like, you know, trying to get into debates with atheists and people who are agnostic about, like, well, actually, like, how the six literal days could have happened and how a worldwide flood could have happened and Joe and the whale. And now I'm like, man, I, my faith was never on these things. Like, so whenever people bring it up, well, I know you believe in God, but what about this? I'm like, yeah, what, what about it? Yeah. What about it? That has nothing to do with my faith. My faith is not founded on the, cre the creation or a worldwide flood or Jonah in the whale. In fact, this is too much to dive into today. This is for a later uh, series, but a lot of the questions that people bring up or the questions that we have, like the questions that we have, have you noticed they're all Old Testament questions? Have you noticed that? It's all back here that we're like, uh, what's going on? Up here, we're good. 
And up here, most of the world is good too. But once we dive into the Old Testament, that's where all these questions kind of come in. And well, what about this? Well, well, I know you believe in God, but what about creation? What about the, the Exodus? And what about all these different things? Do you have an answer for this? And the fact of the matter is, and I, I love the Old Testament, it was never written for me. It wasn't. If you are a Christian, unless you are Jewish, <laughs> unless you were a member of the nation of Israel, the Old Testament was not written for you. It wasn't. Do you know what testament means? It literally means covenant, the old covenant. You just have to read a little bit of the Old Testament to realize the old covenant is specifically between God and the nation of Israel, between Abraham's descendants. You and I don't think you are. Are you an Abraham? No, no, no. Yeah, me neither. Me either. Like I am not a descendant of Abraham. I'm not Jewish. I'm not a member of the nation of Israel. The new testament, the new covenant is between God and the world. And so whenever I allow myself to get bogged down in all these questions about the Old Testament, I'm getting bogged down in things that technically don't even apply to me, right. stuff that was not right. written for me. Right. And so again, that's something to dive into more on the later day because we don't have time to get into all of it today. But the New Testament, that is the covenant between God and the world. That is where our focus really is. That's where Jesus enters the scene and a new way of living, the kingdom of God is truly and finally established in the world. All of that being said, I still love and I still honor and I still treasure the Old Testament of the Bible. I still do. Like, I, I still value it. I read my kids' stories out of the Old Testament. You want to know why? The Old Testament. Jesus took it serious, so I take it serious. <laughs> I don't take it serious because I understand it. I don't, the man, I, the, I barely understand it. But I take it serious because Jesus took it serious. The Old Testament, it does not get its weight or credibility because, wow, it's so historically accurate and all the stuff just makes so much logical sense. It gets its weight because a guy who said, I'm going to die, and then he rose again, says, you should take it serious. So, okay, sure, I'll take it serious then. <laughs> like, if you called your shot like that, I am going to take it serious. This is what Jesus says about the Old Testament. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Don't think I've come to abolish them. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to fulfill them. I haven't come to complete them. So even though you may not like it, <laughs> even though you may not understand it, Jesus took the Old Testament serious. So we as Christians take the Old Testament serious. Doesn't mean we totally get it. Here, here's a little illustration for you. So poor Nickelback, man, poor, poor Nickelback. They are just everyone's beating bag, right? Like everyone hates the rock band Nickelback. In fact, I saw, I saw one tweet. This just sounds funny. As I was studying for this sermon, <laughs> I saw one tweet and I was rolling laughing. It said, uh, it said, if you play a Nickelback song backwards, kind of like, you know, the Beatles, like if you play one backwards, you hear a message. The tweet said, if you play Nickelback backwards, you hear a message from the devil. But even worse, if you play it forwards, you hear Nickelback. <laughs> oh, man. Poor, poor, poor Nickelback. They're just, they're everyone's beating bag because... People just say, you know, they're very generic rock band and they're like kind of made by the music record label machine and they just, they don't get any love. But here's the thing, I, I promise you this would be true. If tomorrow Bob Dylan or Paul McCartney came out and someone asked like Paul, like, hey, hey, any, any musicians that are really resonating with you? And he, well, you know, I really like Nickelback. Like, uh, 
just the way the, the lyrics and the music. I guarantee you the same people who've been destroying Nickelback would suddenly be like, I think I gotta add them to my Spotify list. Like, I gotta see what Paul and Bob are hearing here. Like, I gotta, I gotta see what they're tracking with. Even though you may not get it, you may still be listening to their music and going, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't get what they like here. But because of who Bob Dylan, because of who Paul McCartney are, you suddenly would put stock in that opinion. You suddenly would be like, hey, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I'm gonna go with them and say, maybe they're seeing something here that I'm not seeing. Can't believe we just compared Nickelback to the Old Testament. <laughs> Yet here we are. <laughs> in a similar way, right? The Old Testament, you may not get it. You may be reading stuff in here and go, wow, that sounds awful. Man, that sounds like God was mean. That sounds like God was petty. That sounds like God was evil in some ways. And I don't understand how this is even possible. The Red Sea crossing and, and fire falling from heaven. I do not get it. I just don't understand it. But... But Jesus took it serious. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it serious. Doesn't mean I understand it. And it doesn't mean I have to understand it. There's no test. <laughs> it doesn't mean I have to understand it. But I believe it because Jesus believes it. I put my faith in it because Jesus put his faith in it. I take it serious because Jesus took it serious. So there we go. First question is down. So now we're moving on to how do I know my better than the resurrection is better? Because we got the first part down, right? We, we got the whole, still sounds like you're saying I shouldn't believe in the Bible. We're, we're clear there, right? Believe in it. Take it serious because Jesus took it serious. Now we're going to move on to how do I know my better than? The resurrection is reliable. Is this just semantics? Isn't the resurrection in the Bible? So how is it better than the Bible if it's part of the Bible? So we're good down here. We're going to focus up here the rest of our time. So here we go. Hermeneutics 101. Hermeneutics, that is the study of the Bible. That's, that's what that word means. The very first thing you will learn in any Bible study course, anything, is that the Bible is not a book. That's like ground level, basic 101 stuff that you learn. The Bible is not a book. It's a collection of books. The word Bible literally comes from the Latin word biblia. It means like library, collection of books. The Bible is a collection of books. It's not one book. It's got, it's, it's just so unique and it's so diverse. It has multiple authors written over a period of 4,000 plus years, multiple genres, right? You've got wisdom literature, and you've got history, and you've got poetry, and you've got personal letters sent to people, and you've got personal letters sent to an entire church, an entire congregation. There are so many different genres, and it's comprised of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, 39 books in the Old Covenant, and then 27 books in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. So that's how we get our 66 total, our 66 collection of books. Now, at the time that we have left, we're going to be focusing on four of those, four books, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The reason we're going to be focusing on these books is because they focus on Jesus. They tell us the story about Jesus, about his life, about his ministry, about his death, and most importantly, about his resurrection. You remember what we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul talking about the resurrection. What did he say? He said, hey, just letting you know, that's what it's all about the resurrection, because without it, our faith is futile. Without it, our faith is hopeless and we are believing in vain if there was no resurrection. So that's why we're zoning in and focusing in on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So how do we know they're reliable? Since they tell about the resurrection, how do we know that these four gospels are reliable? 
I'll say this first. We know they're not reliable because they're in the Bible. That's, that's not the basis for it. Like, let, let me put it this way. Did anyone watch The Last Dance, the Bulls documentary? Good stuff. It was crazy, like crazy, crazy stuff. So watching that and just looking back at Michael Jordan and just how incredible this man was. Like the, I mean, the game of basketball, he turned it into an art form. Like he's just spectacular. The kind of, the moves and the mental games he played, he's just amazing, amazing guy. And in 2009, Michael Jordan was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Now I wanna ask you, wouldn't it be silly if I were to say, hey, you wanna know why Michael Jordan's so great? Because he's in the Hall of Fame. Okay, like what, what, what does that mean? That'd be a weird way to phrase it, right? Like Michael Jordan's great because he's in the Hall of Fame? You'd be like, no, no, no. Michael Jordan's great because of what this documentary just showed, because of like the five MVPs and the, the six titles and, and the times that he swept teams in the playoffs and uh, the Defensive Player of the Year awards and all these first team NBA awards. That's why he's great. And that's why he's in the Hall of Fame, right? So Michael Jordan's greatness doesn't depend on him being in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame because he's great, right? He's in the Hall of Fame because he is an incredible and probably the second best basketball player to ever live. There might be some debates in the comments, right? I can't wait to see these comments. This is gonna be great down there. People are like, wait, what? You saying LeBron's better? Uh, <laughs> but he is in the Hall of Fame because he is great. So in a similar way, the Gospels, this is, this is not true, okay? This is not true. The Gospels, reliable because they're in the Bible, no, that is not why they're reliable. It's better than that. The gospels, they're in the Bible because they're reliable. That is correct. That is true. The gospels are in the Bible because they're reliable. This is not a, well, the Bible says so. Well, they're, they're trustworthy because they're in the Bible. That makes no sense. That's arguing from authority. That makes no sense, especially for people who don't believe in the Bible. They're going, okay, like, why do I care what the Bible says? Like, how, how is the Bible authoritative over my life? The Gospels, they're in the Bible because they're reliable. Their authority, their authenticity does not come from the fact that they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're authoritative and because they're authentic. So what, what's that reason then? What's the reason that they're reliable? What's the better than the Bible reason that they are so authentic and reliable? It's actually pretty simple. The gospels are reliable for the same reason that any historical document is reliable. Who wrote it and when they were written. That's how we judge any historical document, any document that talks about the life of pharaohs, any document that talks about the life of kings, of emperors, anyone who's lived years and years and, and millennia ago, that right there, that's called textual criticism. We look at who wrote it and when it was written to help judge how authentic and how reliable the document is. Was the author close to the events? Like who, who's writing this? Is this a primary source, an eyewitness who actually saw these events take place? Or is this like a friend, is this Becky's friend of her boyfriend who went to school with someone? Like who, who's telling this story, right? Is it the primary person or is this like seven people down the telephone line telling me what happened? Because that, that changes, it changes how valid it is. It changes how reliable it is. When was it written? Did they write this thing in the years following or the decades following? Or is this people who wrote it years and years, hundreds of years later down the road? That changes how valid we can take the document. So the gospels, they are reliable 
because of who wrote it and when they were written. We're gonna circle back to this in just a moment. Now stay with me here. We're gonna jump into history here, all right? We're going into history class real quick. So I wanna tell everybody about one of the most important dates. This is a hugely important date uh, if you're Jewish, and this is a hugely important date if you're a Christian. August 3rd, 70 AD. August 3rd, 70 AD. This is the date of the destruction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Emperor Titus, the Roman emperor at the time, invaded Jerusalem, just tore the town apart and destroyed the Jewish temple. So just a little bit of background. Whenever we read scripture and we see Jesus uh, and his life and how there's just a tension between uh, the Jewish people and the Roman empire, especially the, the, the local Roman officials, that tension continued to build and build in the years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, Jewish zealots, tired of Rome's heavy hand on them, tired of Roman oppression, tired of Roman leadership, they started throwing uh, a riots and revolts. They started uh, fighting back against the Roman Empire. So these Jewish zealots start fighting the Romans, and it actually starts off the first Jewish-Roman war. This war starts off, and it breaks out, and Emperor Titus, the emperor of the Roman Empire, decides, you know what? I'm going to put an end to this. I'm going to put an end to this. I'm sick of this, like these, the small little group of people in this Palestine area trying to disrupt things. I'm going to put an end to this and stop this rebellion right now. So Emperor Titus, in April of 70 AD, lays siege to the city of Jerusalem. So basically that means Roman soldiers completely encircled the city to cut them off from food supplies, to cut people off from trading with them, just completely cut the city of Jerusalem off in April, in April. And so they lay siege in April and in May and in June and in July. I mean, think about that. It's kind of like what we've been going through, only a million times worse, Right? being on lockdown in the city, not able to leave, not able to go anywhere, knowing that death is standing right outside your door. And sure enough, the start of August, August 3rd, the Romans break through the walls and utter chaos ensues. If you read the Jewish historian Josephus, his account of the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the devastation of the city, it's gut-wrenching. The way he describes the indiscriminate slaughter of the young and of the old and of women and of children, they went through and just destroyed the entire city. And Emperor Titus realizing that, you know what, this, the Jewish rebellion here, it is clearly tied to the fact that these people think so highly of themselves. They think they're God's chosen people. They think their God is protecting them and that's why they can defy me. They can defy an emperor. They can defy the Roman empire. So you know what? I'm going to put an end to the place where they get the power from, the place where they get this source. And so they go straight to the Jewish temple and they destroy the temple. They just completely destroy it. They take items out of it. They take candles. They take golds. They take jewels. They take all those to be taken back to Rome as plunders of war. This was a huge, huge deal. And this was a huge deal for Titus. This is how big of a deal it was. This, I know this might be the first time you're hearing about this. You didn't hear about it in school because on the grand scale, it may not seem like a big deal, right? This small little Jewish group of people was destroyed by the Romans. Why does this matter? It was a big deal in this day though. This is how big of a deal it was. Uh, uh, in Rome, if you ever visit Rome, you'll see the Colosseum, right? It's one of the biggest, most visited tourist attractions in the world. Millions and millions and millions of people every year visit it. And right next to it, right next to it, there's a big archway. There's a big archway and it's called the Arch of Titus. And on this archway, it was built by the Romans uh, thousands of years ago to commemorate Titus 
on his victories and the different things that he had done through his time as emperor. One of the things you will see if you go to Rome and you go and you look up in the Arch of Titus is this. That is a depiction of the ransacking of the temple. You can see the menorah. You can see different items being taken. This was a huge deal, a massive deal, a deal so big that the Roman Empire decided, you know what, we are going to build this thing that's lasted to today. You can go see this today if you go to Rome. We're gonna build this big archway to commemorate Titus's crushing and his victory over this Jewish rebellion. And so we see it here. This was a massive deal. And not only was it a massive deal to the Romans, it was a massive deal to the Jews. Like this was huge. This was huge. They lost their temple. Think of how big of a deal it was for Cornerstone, us losing our building. Multiply that by a million. They lost, in in essence, they lost their religion this day because ancient Judaism relied on the fact that you went to the temple to make sacrifice for your sin. You wanted to get right with God, you had to go to the temple. You had to go to the temple to, to give an offering to get right with God. So in essence, on August 3rd, 70 AD, ancient Judaism ceased to exist. Think about that. Massive deal to the Romans, massive deal to the Jews. Why am I telling you this? (laughs) Why do we take this detour into history? This is why we're talking about this. You want to know in the Gospels, there is zero mention, zero, of the destruction of the temple. Not one. Not one mention, not one story, not one allusion to it, nothing. And whenever you read the Gospels, you see the entire storyline of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all takes place within about a 30 to 50 mile radius of Jerusalem, within a 30 to 50 mile radius of the temple. The whole narrative takes place there. And this huge deal, the destruction of the Jewish temple that had been standing for hundreds of years that people thought would never be torn down. This thing is torn down and you're telling me no one mentioned it? No one, that would be like us in the future, no one mentioning COVID-19. You'd be going, why? Why in the world was that not included? Why was the destruction of the temple not included? Why no mention? And it's very simple. It's because it hadn't happened yet. The temple had not been destroyed yet. Think about it. If you're Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or you're an imposter, someone trying to write these gospels and trying to make Jesus into this larger than life figure that people believe in, you're trying to fabricate a story. If you're really doing that, wouldn't you include this? Because Jesus, like he, he called this coming. Luke 21, this is what it says in Luke 21. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, The time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them is gonna be thrown down. That's Jesus. And then look at, look, this is a picture of the Temple Mount from today. You know what those are? The very stones Jesus said would not be left one on top of another. These are the stones at the Temple Mount that were pushed off. These used to be part of the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. They were destroyed then and still have not been rebuilt. If you're an imposter, you're like, Jesus predicted this and he called it. Look at this. Like, look, exactly what he said would happen came to be. He's a prophet. He told of the future. If you're writing the gospels after 70 AD, you better believe you're including this, but there was no inclusion. That's because it hadn't happened yet. 
And why does that matter? That means that the gospels were written in the like just decade or few after Jesus lived and died. That's why it matters. That means who wrote it were eyewitnesses. And when it was written, it was written right after the fact. A lot of people say we try to build Jesus up, that sure, he was a good teacher. He, he came and he, he did some good things, but the miracles and stuff, that's myth. That's stuff that like generated in years and decades and, and, and centuries after he died, people added that stuff in just like they do any other legend. Man, these were written way too quick for legend to take hold. These were written while eyewitnesses were still alive. I've heard other people talk about it. It's like the same thing with the Holocaust, right? With the Holocaust, people try to say, oh, it's, it's a myth and it's not true. And, 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 you know, this didn't actually happen. There's some crazies out there with conspiracy theories. The only reason they're able to do it is because the eyewitnesses are starting to die off. Right. A myth can't fabricate while there are still eyewitnesses. So where have we been today? I want to recap this real quick. All right. So our sum it up summary. We take the stories in the Old Testament serious because Jesus did, right? That's why we take the stories in the Old Testament serious, because Jesus did. And why do we take Jesus serious? We take Jesus serious because of what the gospel said. You see how these are building on each other. Why do we take the gospel serious? We take the gospel serious because of who wrote them and when they were written. That right there is why we have hope. Put it in the comments. That's my better than. That is my better than. That is why we have hope. That's why we can believe in the scriptures and what they teach us about Jesus and what they teach us about his life. So you know what this means? What this means for you and what this means for me in our life? This means when my personal experience isn't going so great. When my life with Jesus isn't working out the way I thought it should work, whenever things come up in my life, an unexpected death, a financial loss, the economy going crazy, the world going crazy, when those things come up, I don't have to worry about my faith faltering because my faith was never in my personal experience. It's in the fact that Jesus actually lived, he actually died, and he actually rose again. And I can believe those beyond the shadow of a doubt. So when things get tough, I can have the same response as Peter in John 6, 67. Jesus says to his disciples, do you want to leave too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where in the world will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is the one with the words for eternal life. We have something better than the Bible. We have someone. We have Jesus Christ. I hope you have him. I hope you have him. If you would, let's bow our heads and let's pray together, all right? Father God, today I, I am so thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful that we have reliable witnesses and that we can know how we know is through the witnesses who wrote this down and when they wrote it, that we do have a reliable, trustworthy witness. And God, I hope today that if there's a skeptic out there watching, that they've been pushed a little bit closer to faith in you. If there's a new believer out there, God, that they have been given more confidence in their faith in you. And Lord, if there is a faltering believer who's been in it for a while, but they've had a lot of life happen to them, that they would have new confidence in who you are and that their faith in you does not rely on their circumstances, but on the fact of the matter that you are who you said you are. We're so grateful for that, God, that you are a resurrecting God who actually came back from the dead and you give us that ability to do that too. You give us the ability to live and breathe again. We love you and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. 
If God has caused the dry bones of your faith to rattle today, maybe, maybe you've just been going through the motions. Maybe you're that person just like John who has said, you know what, my faith, it's something that unraveled, it's something that toppled years ago, but today God started to breathe life into your faith again. If that is you, do not close this tab without letting us know about it. We wanna celebrate it. We wanna know about it. We wanna help you. Please, please contact, uh, contact us, uh, connect with us. The host is gonna be posting the journey starting point. Go to journey starting point, connect with us so we can let you know what these next steps look like in your relationship with God. We want to make sure that we're here with you and we're walking through this with you uh, as you navigate faith. Um, and if you're a skeptic and you're still not ready to make that step, just come back next week. Just keep taking these little steps because you don't have to understand all of it. You don't have to understand all of it. You just need to start taking those little steps and see where God leads you. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? So make sure that you're back here, that you connect with us. Uh, I also want to just let you know we, we are missing you like crazy. We miss our church family. We all want to be together again. Uh, in the meantime, though, while we're getting ready for that to happen, please make sure that you are staying connected with us on social so you know any updates as they come. And also, we want you to get plugged in now. Like, you can serve now in different ways. You can serve with our City Lights team. You can serve on our chats, on our live stream. There's so many areas that we can get you plugged in now. And also, we want you to be thinking about the future, about once we get back together, how are you going to get plugged back in? Uh, because we've been away for a while, right? It's easy to get out of routines and out of habits. And we want you to be thinking down the road about, hey, how can I get plugged in? How can I start volunteering again? How can I get ingrained back in Cornerstone uh, once we get back together after this long time of being apart? So be thinking about that. Man, I'm glad you were here today. I hope you were glad <laughs> you were here today. Again, make sure you share this content on your uh, timeline. Share this with your friends, family, co-workers. Uh, they can watch it on demand. They can watch this whenever uh, they want. So please make sure you do that. Don't keep this to yourself. Don't keep what God is doing at Cornerstone to yourself. Share it with other people. He is doing a new thing here. and We are so excited for it. Thank you again for worshiping with us. You can now receive the blessing of the Lord. May Jesus Christ, our God, our King, and our better than be with you this day and every day. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.